The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So this may be a candidate for one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I think it's because I like the element of dramatic irony that is here, that Jesus is walking with these two travelers, and they have no idea who he is, and they try to explain what has happened to Jesus to Jesus. This type of misdirection and concealed identity, um, that's, I think, what in part makes it my favorite, such as Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, or a comedy of errors in which twins that are separated at birth, their paths begin to cross and intertwine, are mistaken for one another. It's hilarious, and I find so much joy in that. And so as a reader of this passage, I see Jesus sort of in this, in this way. It's almost a little funny, but it does give us a lot to talk about, a lot to learn from, and I think if I was Cleopas and his companion, and I didn't recognize Jesus, I might have laughed in the end. So let's take a look at this story, at this almost comedy, this lighthearted story of misdirection, misunderstanding, and finally eye-opening. So our story starts by saying, now on that same day, and so this same day is this Easter Sunday, on the day that the women had gone to the tomb to bring spices to further prepare Jesus for his burial, but they found the tomb empty. They ran back to the eleven. They told their story. He is not there. It is that day, Easter Sunday. But Cleopas and his companion, who is unnamed, but we can assume through context and in reading that it might be his wife. So let's call her Cindy. So Cleopas and Cindy, on this Easter Sunday, they've heard the testimony of the women. They've come from the eleven but they don't believe. They are not sure that Jesus really has risen, and so they decide to leave Jerusalem. They have come for the Passover. They have followed Jesus into Jerusalem, probably for the triumphant entry, thinking this is the time that the kingdom will be restored, and they are only met with disappointment when Jesus is crucified, died, and buried. And so they leave Jerusalem, They walk away from the spiritual heart of Israel, the place where God had Solomon build his temple, where the Ark of the Covenant had rested, God's presence was there. The place where all the pilgrims throughout the known world travel to celebrate the festivals, to celebrate Passover. This is the epicenter of God's work on earth. But they are walking away from this, because they think the work is unfinished, incomplete, that they perhaps misunderstood something. In walking away, they are abandoning any hope of the restoration of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of Israel. And perhaps what's more, they might be fleeing potential persecution, afraid that since the chief priests and the elders of the, the chief priests, the teachers and the elders of the law have have successfully gotten Jesus crucified, perhaps they are afraid that they're going to come for his followers next. And so Jerusalem is probably the last and least safe place that they could think to be. And so they leave. And so they walk on the road. They walk to Emmaus. It is not far. It is about 11 kilometers. 
So they walk. And of course, as you do when you walk, you talk. To pass the time, to pass the couple of hours it would take for the journey, you talk about the stories of the day. How many walks have we been on for the past year and a bit where we talk about the pandemic, we talk about the restrictions, now we get to talk about vaccines, whatever is going on that captivates us, and so we talk. And it is in this discussion that Jesus approaches, but they are kept from recognizing him. And at first we might think this is strange because they are clearly Cleopas and Cindy, they were clearly close to Jesus. They were visiting with the 11 disciples, that inner circle. They had heard the testimony of the women. You think that after three years of following Jesus in his ministry, they would have recognized him. But of course, Luke tells us that they were kept. They were prevented from recognizing him. And I think it's when you, you least expect to see someone that perhaps you don't even recognize them yourself. I remember once I was visiting a friend in Sweden. We had studied together at a Bible school for 10 months, and I had gone home for the summer, and I was coming back to visit that winter. So after living and studying together for almost a year, we had been apart for maybe five months, and so we were going to meet in the train station. Now in that five months, I had gone from, you know, shaving my head right down to the woods, and I had grown it out. I had bought a new coat, and so... You know, I said, I'm, I'm here in the train station. And so my friend Maya, she, she's walking. We're kind of looking for each other. I notice her and start walking towards her. Well, she would have walked right past me if I hadn't stopped her. She didn't recognize me. New coat, new hair, that's all it took. And so perhaps Jesus was dressed just a little bit differently. Perhaps he looked a little bit different. He had been resurrected after all, but they were kept from recognizing him. This is really important because God's at work here. God is the one keeping them from recognizing him. And we might think that this is cruel, this misdirection, this pageantry in the story, but if we look in Jesus' ministry, we see that in a lot of ways, he sort of checks the whole truth. When he tells parables, he doesn't explain them all. And in fact, he says that they see they hear, but those listening, they do not understand. Explanation sometimes comes later. Like in the parable of the seeds, Jesus tells it, and his disciples say, what did it mean? And he explains it just to them. In a way, we could see it as working through a sort of method of teaching and learning rather than being just given the answer. For as a, as a kid, whenever I was working on reports and, and that for school, we'd be sitting at the dinner table, you know, writing as we would, and look up to mom or dad, whoever was there, and say, how is this word spelled? I don't know it. And they would say, how do you think it's spelled? And of course, you'd say, I have no idea. That's why I'm asking. And then they would point up to the top shelf of the bookshelf, and there was the dictionary, and we have to pull that down and try and think of how it sounded and flip through and try and find it. And in that way, we perhaps learned how to spell it better than just being dictated the order of letters. Sometimes we learn best through this sort of methodological, sometimes time-intensive teaching rather than just being handed the answer. And so Jesus approaches them, and in the most hilarious way, he asks them, what are you talking about? And they say, how could you not know? 
It would really be akin to someone walking up to us this day in a park. We are standing six feet apart with our masks on and saying, why are you guys dressed and behaving that way? Are you the only person that doesn't know about COVID-19? And so, to Jesus, they say, do you not know? Are you the only person that has no idea what is going on? To Jesus, the subject of their talk, the one who was crucified and died, they ask him if they know about Jesus' crucifixion and, and death. And so they begin to tell him, because this is important news. This is something he should know. This is the news of the day. And they talk about hope. They pour out their expectations of everything they thought that Jesus was going to be and going to do before him. They're walking away from Jerusalem. They're defeated. Their hope is gone. They thought that Jesus, the one who in his triumphant entry rode into Jerusalem, of which they said, Hosanna, save us, was going to free them from Roman captivity to restore the kingship of David, to bring autonomy back to the nation. They were convicted that this is who Jesus came to be. And when their expectations and reality collided, they were left with nothing but utter disappointment. And they spell this out for Jesus. We had hoped. And then they tell him that some women saw an empty tomb. The disciples went, but they did not see him. So they are wrestling with what this means for their hope, what this means to hear the story of someone else that Jesus is not there. But still, as far as they're concerned, it's over. They've lost. Jesus was not who they expected him to be. And so they, they're done. And Jesus responds, How foolish are you and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And this, at first glance, this can seem harsh. I mean, they are kept from recognizing the risen Jesus. It's to no fault of their own that they have no idea who they're talking to. And it seems cruel that Jesus would call them foolish. But he uses it in a different way than we're familiar. He's not a 1990s animated Disney villain calling all their, you know, ineffective minions fools. No. He's referring to their slow understanding. That they just don't quite grasp the scriptures. See, they're not stupid people. They know the Old Testament. They just don't have full understanding. And perhaps this lack of understanding, and for us, even when we approach Scripture, it comes through our own faults, our own ability to really understand what God is getting at through his word. Or perhaps, in the case of our travelers, they are just so broken and disappointed that they cannot see the truth in Scripture that they are prevented from seeing Jesus because they are so deep in the mire in their own disappointment, their own despair, that even though Jesus is standing right in front of them, walking alongside them, they don't yet realize it. And perhaps another reason that Jesus is kept from recognizing them is that they need to face their unfulfilled expectations first. They need to come to bear with who they thought Jesus should have been before Jesus can reveal who he was, who he is, 
who he is going to be for all people. Because if their expectation is of a military conqueror, someone who will sit on a throne and rule an earthly kingdom, they may not have yet been ready to accept a Jesus who is crucified, died, buried, resurrected, and is going to reign in heaven. And so Jesus takes the time. He takes the time to unpack their expectations through the prophets, which they would have known. They knew the scriptures. For in fact, Cleopas and Cindy, they had referred to Jesus as a prophet, which is true, but Jesus, he highlights the way they did not fully understand what kind of prophet he was. Or as a matter of fact, that he was quite similar to all of the other prophets. For if you look in the Old Testament, if you read the prophets, they did not, they did not have a great time. If you read the stories of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, being a prophet probably wouldn't be our preferred job choice. For prophets, they were rejected. They suffered and often were killed for what they said, for carrying out their God-given mission. For Jesus, he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He points to the past to give context for who he is. Jesus is no different than them. And what is important is that Jesus is a different kind of prophet, inaugurating a different kind of kingdom well, it's a good thing he did not live up to the hopes of these people. Because Jesus in his ministry, in his kingship, he outlasted the political state of Israel. For not 40 years later did the Roman armies destroy the temple, destroy the spiritual heart of Israel. If they had their expectation fulfilled of a military conqueror, they would have been sorely disappointed by the legions of Rome. And so Jesus, he walks them through the Old Testament he walks them through the prophets. He walks with them, curing them of their false expectations in a sense, leading them gently towards the truth of the Messiah. Sometimes you have to empty a cup before you fill it again. And so he empties their expectations so that he can pour in the truth of who he is. But even after all of this, they still don't quite get it. We can explain the scriptures all we want. We can do good exegesis and hermeneutics and all those good biblical scholarship. But there needs to be one more ingredient to understanding, to recognizing the truth, to seeing Jesus who is standing right in front of us. And it starts by inviting him in. And this is a very polite move by these travelers. For in the ancient world, it was not necessarily the safest to travel at night. And so, as they come to their home, they invite Jesus to stay. They offer him hospitality. They welcome him into his home. Jesus does not force himself in. He feigns to go on a little bit, to continue walking, and they, they pull him back, say, no, stay with us. Jesus is a polite Messiah and a polite Savior. He does not force himself on those that would be his followers. And so they bring him into his house, and this is the big moment. This is the reveal. This is the climax of the story. For Jesus, he sits. And they recline around the table, and he takes the bread and breaks it and gives thanks. And it is in this moment their eyes are opened 
and they recognize him. And it's such an interesting thing because the breaking of bread, the blessing, the prayer, that is the role of the host. But Jesus, who is both guest and host in this instance, and is through this breaking of bread, this ordinary act, that they recognize Christ as the Messiah. Some have suggested that Jesus, he gave them Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist in this moment. But I, th- I think, and I agree with those that think it is just an ordinary meal. They're sitting around table for a regular dinner. And in the breaking of bread, in this moment of hospitality where Christ is both guest and host, they see him. And this is sort of Jesus' mode of operation at dinner. For in Luke 9.16, Jesus also sits and breaks bread. And it is in this moment when Peter declares Jesus the Messiah over the dinner table. And so they see. Their eyes are open. This metaphorical imagery for understanding, the ability to comprehend their faith and salvation. It is enacted through Christ. God lifts the veil from their eyes. For as smart as they could have been, as much as they could have understood the scripture, they could only get so far on their own. They needed Christ to reveal himself. The theologian John Carroll writes that the construction of Easter faith is a divine project, one that must overcome human incapacity to perceive. We can be as scholarly and as learned in the scriptures as we want, but unless we are meeting with Jesus and inviting him into that process, we will never fully understand. For Cleopas and his wife, they could not rely on their own ability to perceive Jesus, but needed God to reveal the risen Savior to them, even though he was standing within arm's reach. We might have a tendency to be upset then with Luke for Perhaps if he had just written down how Jesus had explained the scriptures, it might be easier for us to see Jesus in our lives. It might be easier to see him in the scripture. But in an Easter morning service, Johann Eck, a 16th century Catholic theologian, he writes that while we might be frustrated, this is Luke's invitation for us to turn back the pages in our Bible and look for ourselves to engage in the same activity that Cleopas' wife and Jesus engaged, the discussion of the prophets, of the scriptures, to unpack it, to do it with Christ. Because it is through Jesus the scriptures make sense. They have understanding. We find comfort. We find encouragement. And we see this great awakening, this great comfort, this encouragement, this fire burn within them. For they ask, were not our hearts burning within us? When he explained the scriptures, when he took bread and broke it, was that not the moment when we really recognized Jesus? Did we not have sort of this this moment of there is something more to this conversation than just good Bible talk, that we're talking with someone truly special? And then in looking back, in reflecting on that time on the road, they see that it was Jesus the whole time. And so, in a total change of pace, in a total change of mood and mentality, they head back to Jerusalem, where once they were leaving with no hope, utter disappointment, perhaps fear of persecution, they run back 11 kilometers in the dark with hope 
and they find the eleven. They tell them the great news, and they celebrate. And it's in this moment, together, Cleopas, his wife, the women, the eleven, they collate their experiences. For they say, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. We have another appearance that's undocumented, but together, in community, this faith group, they share their various experiences, their different ways of meeting with Jesus, the women at the tomb, Cleopas and Cindy on the road, Peter in an unknown way, and they talk and they share. They confirm each other's story. They strengthen, they deepen, they encourage faith in one another that Christ truly has risen. This is not about individual experience, but it is about sharing your experience and making it communal. And I think this is an important lesson for us, because it might be hard to find God in our present circumstances. For in this pandemic, we do feel isolated. We feel that even though vaccines are coming in, that there's still not as much hope as we would like for things to return to how we'd want. Expectation and reality have certainly collided with us this past year. And that's why looking back is going to be so essential as we move forward. That as a community, we must continually ask God to show us where he was at work in this past difficult circumstance. Because we cannot find him on our own. Sometimes our own despair, our own inability to see past our own sinful nature that we still wrestle with keeps us from seeing God, even though he's within arm's reach at all times. So through telling of stories, through sharing our communal faith, we can encourage each other that even if we don't see Christ right now, that he is still there. And we can be so grateful that his presence in our lives does not depend on our ability to see him or to comprehend his work. And so we have to then ask ourselves, do we let our expectations of Jesus shape who he is, or do we allow Christ and the scripture to shape our expectations then of him, to mold our expectations to his reality And so we can do that by telling stories. Tonight, around the dinner table, you can ask the question, where did you see God today? In our devotional time, we can ask God in the scriptures to say, where is Christ in my reading today? Show me the love and grace and mercy of your mission in my devotional time. Or when perhaps we gather online for our small group Bible studies, we can ask, Where in this passage do we see Jesus? Where does it allude to his ministry, his grace, his mission? This is a together thing. Our understanding, our faith, it finds its origin in Christ and the Spirit, but it is then strengthened, confirmed by the sharing of each of our stories with each other. Because Christ will and has and continues to show himself in different ways to each and every one of us. And it does not mean that we all have a different Jesus, but that we together create a more whole and complete picture of who Christ is. 
And all we have to do is invite him in. Invite him to sit at the table with us, to share in our lives, to walk on the road, to go with us to work, to school, into our play, and around the dinner table. And when we are gracious and we invite him in to our lives, he is infinitely more kind and gracious and loving to play the role of host, to break bread with us, and to teach and show us who he is. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we come again on this, this Sunday, this resurrection day, so full of thanks and gratitude for who you are as our Savior. And God, we confess that sometimes we get Jesus wrong. We try to turn him into something that he's not, make him a God after our own image something that we might like to carry around in our pocket. Heavenly Father, I pray that even though we are distant, that we may come together as a community to share our stories, to reflect on how this past year, as difficult as it has been, has been full of moments when you have been present in our lives. Reveal those to us, God. We cannot always find them on our own, and so we need your guidance. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Help us to see Jesus for who he is. Amen.